Yes, amen. But if you're a first-time visitor, let me see your hand. Just let me see your hand. It's all we need to do. I should have done that and didn't Sunday, but boy, I've got help that tells me, and I appreciate them so much. If you're watching for the first time online, you're in Branson, Missouri right now. It's a great place to be, and Sunday morning we'll be back at 10 a.m. Uh, again and 6 p.m. Sunday night. But for right now, I want you all to stand to your feet, and I'm going to dismiss Restoration Connection. Pastor Benai is speaking tonight in Restoration Connection, and we're going to conclude with the, You can go ahead and head that way, Restoration Kids. And the rest of you can stay put. I don't know what that means. I'm going to have to check on that sometimes. I think it means just where you're at. And we're going to do Revelation chapter 22 in the Word of God, which is the culmination of all of the Scripture, the Holy Scripture. This is an important one. If, you don't, if you're not going in Restoration Connection, I think this is the one that you're going to want to hear tonight and be part of. How do you begin to describe the end of all Scripture? How would you end a letter? How would you end a very important document? There would have to be something there that brought everything together in that document from the very beginning to the very end that could tie everything into one place. Now, only a divine, the divine God, and we know that he is, and we also know that he is the one and only God. There is no other God beside him. And um, your courtesy to foreign gods is a courtesy to an idol, and they are idols. You see that people say, well, you need to be respectful. I don't respect idols. I don't do it. Any more than the children of Israel, when they, when they went into the land of Canaan, the Lord told them there's going to be enemies there. And he described the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Hittites and the Jebusites. He described the Philistines that were going to. All these nations, all called Canaanite uh, countries and, and, and kingdoms. And he said that these were all enemies of God. If they're enemies of God and I'm a child of God, then they're enemies of mine. Amen? Not, and I'm not talking about enemies in the point of fighting physically. I'm talking about enemies that are trying to steal or degrade or say the God that I serve isn't who he is. But I will tell you this, and I promise you, I can stand on any ground and say this emphatically, that the God I serve is God and God alone. Amen? And he's the God of the universe. He's not the God of America He's not the God of a, a certain group of people. He is the omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God who reigns in heaven. Amen? And we're going to talk about this culmination of 66 books in the Bible and the very last chapter of the great book of Revelation this evening. Now, we've gone through 22 chapters tonight, and we've talked about from the very beginning John's exile on Patmos. And how he was confronted on the Sabbath. So if he was talking about a Jewish Sabbath, it was, about, it was Saturday. And he, or it could have been Sunday before sundown. But he was there. And the Word of God says that he was in prayer, seeking God on the Lord's day. And so he's worshiping God. And all of a sudden, he gets this vision that's more than a vision. It's a reality. Jesus manifests himself in his glory in front of John. Uh, who's an, a desert island prisoner there sent to die on this desert island in the Mediterranean just off the coast there where Turkey and Lebanon and some of those countries would be. And he's going to die there, he thinks. And all of a sudden he gets this manifestation and Jesus gives him a revelation that he is to write down. And that revelation is the book of Revelation that we are studying, it tells the end of all times. Now, the great thing about our God and the God that we serve is foreign gods, these fake gods and anything else that calls itself a God, can always talk about the past, but they can't, can't talk about the future. Now, listen to me. I'm explaining something. When you see manifestations of people like fortune tellers and People like this, they, they, they're really good at telling the past because Satan knows the past. 
But he doesn't know a minute ahead of him because he's not omniscient. He's not all-knowing. So he can forecast, but he has no idea what tomorrow is going to be. Satan has no ability to know that. He can only judge it on millenniums of, 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 of experience, but he doesn't know. So he, when you hear these, yeah, that's why we hear people conjure up the dead of their past or, or, or people in their past and things. Because Satan and satanic things can talk about the past, but they can't talk about the future. Only God. So he gives us this book that tells us it's a road map, an absolute road map to the very end of all time. And it's divided into sections. First, in the first five chapters, we see which is called the church age, the description of God and Jesus of who he is. He begins with, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I'm everything. That's a messianic term. Then he goes to the churches, seven churches of Asia, and explains the right and wrong way to serve him and the pitfalls so we would know how to serve him better. And then from there, he goes into the explanation and the glory of the throne room and the kingdom of God. But at chapter 5, at the end of 5, the church disappears from the book of Revelation. No longer is it mentioned. That's where I would say I'm in this course. The majority of theologians believe that this is the rapture of the church, the taking away of the church. It's not just logical. It's theologically sound to believe that, and the church is gone. There in heaven, that's you and I. That's the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air. That's the rapture word. You will never find rapture in the Bible, that the catching away is described as a word of rapture. And so that's the catching away. Will, uh, the dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever. And that's during that time we're going to enjoy this beautiful uh, marriage supper of the Lamb while the earth is going to go through seven years of horrific tribulation called the Great Tribulation. And it's going to be led by one who is an antichrist or the son of Satan, actually. And Satan, the antichrist, and the false prophet are going to portray a trinity that's as evil as it can possibly be. And the halfway through this seven-year tribulation period, the Antichrist, the false Christ, is going to stand in the temple in Jerusalem and proclaim himself to be God. And there's a lot of other things that go along with this, but this isn't a story, a fairy tale. This is an actual event that's coming in our future. I'm telling you, it's, a, it's as real as the news you heard today or the seat you're sitting on right now, this is what we have in the future coming. And God gave us this wonderful map. And there's a few things in the scripture that Paul was prohibited from talking about, particularly about seven plagues or seven trumpets or bowls. He said, I can't say anything about those and we don't know how those are going to fit in. But everything else to a letter, to the day, to the middle of the seven-year tribulation where the Antichrist stands and proclaims himself to be God, this is called the abomination that leads to desolation. Because once he does that, absolutely everything that's already bad for three and a half years goes haywire bad after that. In fact, within two hours after his proclamation, Scripture, when you study Scripture, there'll be an earthquake in Jerusalem that'll kill 70,000 people immediately. There's going to be incredible things that are happening. But at the same time of this th first three and a half years in this middle proclamation, there's going to be 144,000 Jews that are marked as missionaries and two witnesses that are going to come and proclaim that Jesus is Lord to the Jewish nation. Praise God. God loves his people. Aren't you glad for that? Now, for any of you that have seen stories that proclaim uh, left behind or something like that, and you see a bunch of people run up after the rapture, and they get all religious, and they have secret house meetings and, and come to God, I'm not saying people won't be saved after the rapture. There will be. But where? 
I believe God's focus is going to be like a laser beam on Israel and the nation of Israel. And if you're not saved before the rapture, the chances of you being saved after that, unless you're a Jew, unless you're in that nation, is almost zero. So don't watch these movies and think, well, if I miss the first round, I'll get the second round. Because the Holy Spirit's going to be drawn out. And there's only one thing that can cause you to be saved, and that's the drawing of the Holy Spirit. That's, what the, that's the emotion. That's the understanding. That's the, where you want to know God, where you want to know Jesus. And that's the Holy Spirit that, that's working to pull you into a knowledge of Jesus. His duty, his goal, his love is to bring all glory to Jesus. And Jesus said, called him the comforter. He said he'll be your strength and comfort. He's going to be there for you. He's going to indwell you when he goes away. He said, my spirit, which is omnipresent, is going to indwell you. So when you come to Jesus as a new Christian, and you ask Jesus to come into your heart, guess what happens? You get the whole package. The Holy Spirit indwells you. That's what rebirths you. That's what makes you new. Now you're born again. Ever heard that term? You're brand new. Nicodemus came to Jesus, an old man, probably in his late 80s. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the supreme court of the Pharisees. And and they, they read and constantly tried to interpret the law, the 613 laws of Moses. And they also expanded it into untold numbers. But he knew something was different. He had been around when the Pharisees were constantly surrounding Jesus and trying to find fault. I mean, here's how foolish it got. There's a dead man, and he raises him from the dead. There's a leper, and he, raises, and he cleanses him. There's a man that's a paralytic for 37 years, and he heals him. There's blind men, and he heals them. But if, they did it on the, if he did it on the wrong day, according to the law, then he wasn't of God. He was of the devil. What? They didn't see what Jesus did. They were picking at legalities instead of understanding that he is the law of Moses. He is the giver of everything. They didn't recognize him for who he was. But that didn't stop Jesus from being Jesus. Amen? So here's Paul, and we've gone through the, the church age, and the church is gone. Now we've gone through the judgments. In chapter 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, all the way up to about 19. And then we start seeing the restoration and the retribution of God for those who have been slain. I don't know the number. I have no idea what the number is, but there has to be, by the time this happens, those that took the mark of the beast and that were killed, those that have been martyred for Christ right now, around this world right now, I believe, I heard, and if I'm wrong on the number, I really, uh, my intention's good, but I believe right now if you look at the martyrdom that's going on in the world today, they're saying as many as 50,000 people are martyred a year now because of Christ, because of naming the name of Jesus. So martyrdom is still going on. It's been going on for uh, a long, long time, and it's going to accelerate as we come closer to Christ. And all of those are found in the, in the book of Revelation. It says they're under the altar going, when are you going to exonerate us? When, oh God, are you going to give us justice for what's happened to us? And then we get into 19 and 20, and we see the exoneration. And we see the great battles that will take place, Armageddon. And then the millennial period of a thousand years. And this is a thousand years of peace because Satan and the demonic forces of all hell are going to be put in the abyss for a thousand years, ten centuries. It doesn't mean that it's going to be absolutely without sin. It's going to mean that the source of sin is going to be locked up for a thousand years. So the, the, the rise of righteousness and the rise of all the goodness of God is going to just flourish for 10 centuries. At the end of that time, Satan's going to be released for a small amount of time. And many theologians believe that could be three, three and a half years. And even then, after that 10 uh, centuries, after a thousand years of peace, no wars, a thousand years of righteousness, 
there'll still be those that can be deceived by the devil. I want to tell you something today, and I want you to listen to me a few points. If I say, listen to this, I really mean this. We're living in a day that theology is being twisted, and we have to be very, very careful to know what's true and what's not. Because a lot of it really sounds good, and it feeds our ego, it feeds our flesh, and it gives us good thoughts and good ideas, but is it really real? So, Pastor, then how do I know? What would keep me from being tricked and fooled? The Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know how to work with the Holy Spirit. You, you don't work with the Holy Spirit. He works with you. What you do is you go to him. You see, God is one. Somebody say amen. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is one. Well, that sounds like three to me. It's three in one, and if you can't comprehend that, join the club. God's bigger than your comprehension. But God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and their distinct characters are one God. And the Holy Spirit indwells you, and when he indwells you at salvation, then you pray and ask him, Holy Spirit, show me. Oh, what will it offend Jesus if I pray to the Holy Spirit? No, they're one, and there's no controversy in the Godhead. There's no competition. It's fine to pray. Holy Spirit, lead me. Have you ever prayed that? You should. Holy Spirit, guide me. Give me the words. Lord, show me. Jesus, would you, would you show me? Father, would you show me? You're all right on all of them. Don't get caught up in technicalities. God sorts it out. We're talking about one God. In three distinct characters. And many, many times, I'll ask the Holy Spirit, show me, is this real if it isn't? And then sometimes, if you're not real fortunate, you'll get a gift called discernment. Now, don't, don't ask for that one, but I have it. And there's many times where I went, oh, God, because the Holy Spirit will show me things about people. When I shook hands with one man one time, supposed to be a great leader. I knew there was a dark side in this man. And I mentioned it to a friend of mine, and he laughed at me, only for this man's dark side to come out a few months later. And I, I knew it. I, I, the discernment of the Holy Spirit sometimes is good. You see good things. There's potential in people. But it also shows you uh, things that maybe you don't want to even think about. But then God trusts you to pray for those people. So discernment's one, but we all have a sense of understanding if this is real, if it's not, when we go to God. Now, if we just take man's ideas for these things, you're a, you're a Tootsie Roll Pop. You're a chocolate or a cherry or an orange or a grape. I think that's the main ones. You're a sucker. Well, I don't like you saying that. I've been one. You have too. You have to be very careful in today's world about listening to what's real and what's not. The Word of God and man's opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. i tell you this. A few years ago, I was praying honestly right here in this room. And I said to the Lord, I said, God, help me. Help me be what you want me to be. Help me to lead these people who you want me too. And he says, okay, there's one thing I want you to do. And I thought, oh, this will be easy. I said, oh, good. You're, I mean, my spirit, I'm just hearing this. And I said, what is it? He says, lose your opinion. Some of you need to lose your opinion. Have you ever had somebody say something and you just had to have a one-liner back? <laughs> Ask God to relieve you of that gift. He said, lose your opinion. Trust in the word of God only. Stand on the word of God only. You don't have to have an opinion on everything. In fact, he said, lose it to me. Now, he may not say that to you. But I found out that if I trust in his word, I never go wrong. Amen? So now we're down to chapter 22. I, this is the salutation of the entirety of the of the God-breathed Bible, the old, or what in Jewish terms we would call it the first covenant and the second covenant. 
uh, you all would call it the, first, the Old Testament and the New Testament. But in this term, we're down to now the last paragraph of the letter. From Genesis down to Revelation. All the prophets we've heard. <clears throat> all the stories of the kingdoms and the kings we've heard. <clears throat> all of the forecast of the Old Testament, which we're going to next week get into with the book of Daniel, which is a, a, a mirror of Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in New Testament through Revelation. You're going to hear a lot of the same things, even deeper in some areas of explanation. But here we are down to the very end, and I was interested, how would you end that? How would you end a book that people would go? So let's go to chapter 22, and we're going to talk about uh, this ending chapter in the NIV and verse 1, the Bible says this, and he's giving a description of heaven and the glory of heaven and what you have. Now, now look at me just a second before you read behind me. This is <clears throat> facts. This is reality. What I'm telling you, what I'm going to read to you is a reality. It's not a fairy tale. It's not symbolism. It's not a parable. This is reality. Like this is reality. I'm stepping on this stage. That's a real truth. What I'm going to read to you is your reality coming to you. If you're a child of God, say amen. amen. Then the angel showed me, this is John and an angel speaking to him. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. This is called the river of life. As clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. We see a separation there. God the Father and God the Son. From these thrones in heaven and under the throne is flowing a river. The crystal clear and everything that's here is talking about the purity of this, of this river of life, river that gives life. So it's talking about the absolute purity. It goes on to say this, down the middle of the great street, verse 2, of the city, and this is the new Jerusalem now. We talked about it coming down 1,500 miles in every direction on a new earth without any seas or oceans, and all the tributaries will be that that comes out of the throne of God with the tree of life growing in places there with fruit, and it'll talk about this, it changes every 30 days, every month. And it says, it's in the middle of the street, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. This is the tree. Now, these aren't the trees that'll be along the tributaries. This is the tree of life. And what's interesting, this is the same tree that was in the Garden of Eden. This is a tree where God told Adam and Eve, you cannot eat of this tree if you do, you'll have the knowledge that I have. And we know they weren't ready for that because they were beguiled or tricked by Lucifer, Satan. And he told them, God doesn't want you to know what he knows, but you need to know what he knows. And he tricked them in to eating off of that, this same tree. So we're seeing this tree now. We saw it in Eden where the fall of man takes place. This is the glory of understanding this, this scripture. Now we're seeing the tree of life in the restored place that it was at the beginning before there was sin. God is a God of restoration. Amen? I wish you'd say amen louder. Oh, thank you. That helps me so much. I was sincere. I wasn't just kidding. I like your saying, man. I really do. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. So what's it saying? There is time in heaven. It's endless time. Every month, a new fruit appears. And I can't imagine how good that's going to be. People say, are we going to eat in heaven? Why do you think they're going? Look, here's a styrofoam apple. It almost looks real. No. Here, look at this fruit. I've never seen this before. It's beautiful. Take a bite. He constantly invites us to eat and to drink and to take in what's good about him. 
So every month we've got this new fruit that's going to be absolute because God's a creator. He didn't stop creating after the sixth day and rest. He creates now. Jesus said, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you'll be there with me. And in my Father's house are many rooms, many houses, many places. He is going to be who he is for all eternity. Creation is going to continue to go to the point that you're going to get around every day. Not There's no night there. We'll read that. But every day in these 30-day cycles or however, how long a month is in heaven, and we're going to get up and go, whoa, look what he did Look what he's done. New creation. God can't help from being who he is. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, you not, I, I heard a, Natalie one time told me, she's about seven years old, I had to set her down and have a real heart-to-heart -heart with her so she wouldn't go to hell at seven. I said, she said, Dad, I don't think I want to go to heaven. I said, okay, why? She goes, I'm going to get bored up there. I mean, uh, you know, just streets of gold. And I said, Natalie, sit down. Let me talk to you. And I told her, I said, Natalie, it's not, God's a creator. It's going to be new. Every day is going to be something you've never seen. It's going to be wonderful. And I got done, and I thought I had it right in the palm of my hand. She said, we got any Pop-Tarts? Get out of here. Go on. She got older, and she realized she did want to go to heaven. She's doing a pretty good job doing it now. Never bored. Never bored. Verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. Man, think about this. The throne of God and the, of the Lamb will be, the, will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So what are we going to do when we get to heaven? Just walk around and go, oh, ain't it great to be here? Brother Brian, good to see you. I saw you yesterday, but uh-uh. We're going to be working in heaven. I, every theologian I read says there's going to be a place of service for us in heaven, that something we want to do. You ever want to feel useful? Anybody ever want to feel useful? You know how God can complete and, and give you a fullness of usefulness like you've never dreamed before? I'm telling you, I, I, when I started this church, I said one of my goals is to build a standalone Christian. That means someone that if they were dropped in a desert island, had enough of the Word of God in them to survive, and be strong in their faith. The second thing that I said, when I want a church where if you walk in the door, everyone can say, my job is this. I have a job. I have something to do. I'm a greeter. I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a singer. I'm a, I'm a, I, I sweep the floor. Whatever. I want, some, I want us to all have a place. Heaven's going to be a place where we have the dream service job. And serve him. It's not just walking up to the throne constantly, which we can't help from worshiping him. But it's going to be so wonderful in this service to God. Verse 4 says, and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Man, now listen to this. Moses tells God, and he's dealing with Elohim in this time from the burning bush. And he's saying, God speaking to him, take my children out of Egypt. And Moses says, tell me who you are. There's no doubt that you're God, a God of some, but tell me, I need to know who you are. And the voice says, tell him that I am that I am. He's saying, I am the totality of existence, the totality of time and distance. I'm the old overseer of everything and there's nothing more or greater than I am I am into the story Moses then says to him if I'm going to lead these people then let me see you and the word of God says that God took Moses and put him in the cleft of the rock he put him in the cleft of the rock that rock represents Christ Jesus there's a cutout place there's a cavern and he put him in the cleft of the rock and covered him there with his hand. And he walked by and he said, you cannot see my face. No man will see my face ever. Only the son knows my face. After we're glorified and we're in the presence of God, we will. But that time he says, I'll let you see 
the glory of my behind part, my, my, my after part, that I walk, and the glory of God was almost more than Moses could stand, not seeing his face. Now, listen to this. You're going to look into the face of Elohim. You're going to look into the face of the Father. You're going to be equipped with eternal life and strength that's strong enough for you to look into the face of the Almighty God and the Son of God sitting right behind him. And I am tell you, the only thing that will come out of your mouth is holy, holy, holy. Verse 5 says, there will be no more night. There will be no need, there will not need the lamp, light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light as they will reign forever and ever. It says several things here. There's going to be glorious light, surround light. There's not going to be a source except Jesus. And his glory is going to illuminate the cosmos. Somebody go, wow. How do you do that? How do you light up everything without a light? There's nothing, there's no point, but it's light. There's no shadows. This is incredible. Who's your light technician? I'm joking, but that's how it's going to be. Do you believe what I'm saying is true? I'm telling you what you have to look forward to. Why would... Why would I? Why would you? Why would we trade what I'm talking about tonight for sin of any kind? It's a bad trade. It's a sad trade. It's a worthless trade. He's offering us everything. And we're going to say yes and take it. Amen? Verse 6 says, the angel said to me, the word, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants these things that must soon take place. Behold, verse 7, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. He's saying, blessed, there's a blessing to you that look, read, and, and you've heard this whole book now, 22 weeks. I wasn't here for those, Pastor. Go back to Facebook, The Sanctuary of Hope, online. Go right down, and they're all archived, and you can get every Wednesday night from chapter 1 on and listen to them and see exactly what this is saying. But it says there's a blessing attached to those that not only read this word, but keep this word. <clears throat> Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then John begins to speak and he says, And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. He's testifying, I was there. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at his feet, at the feet of the angel who was showing me these things. But very quickly, the angel said to me, Do not do this, for I'm a fellow servant with you. And with your brothers, the prophets, and with all who keep the word of this, of this book. He said, don't worship angels. <clears throat> angels said, don't do this. Very quickly. Because John's overwhelmed with what he's shown. And, and the, two times John does this. And I can understand. You say, well, John was shallow. Are you nuts? Well, are you? I'm asking you. Nobody answered. Who wouldn't if a supernatural being came and showed you some things, took him into, into the heavens, and here's one who's speaking of these things. You're, you'd want to worship him. And John's overwhelmed, and the angel says, Get up, buddy. I'm, you and I are, are both worshipers of God. Well, if let me just ask you something. And you say, Ah, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. If the angel said, Don't worship angels, what about men today that want you to worship them? Look at me. Look how great I am. 
I've written a book. I've got. They don't say it, but there's an implication that they like to be praised. Let me tell you, when you do that, when somebody in my category is a pastor or a preacher, evangelist, a teacher, an author, wants to be praised, they're infringing on the glory of God and they're taking on the same character, characteristics of Satan himself. That's one of the ways that you know if someone's real or not. L- let me ask you something. When did we outgrow the boss? I see preachers there. I've had friends. God has blessed me to be in some pretty big circles. If it's big, maybe they're a little bit. Big circles, and I've met some wonderful men and, and wonderful women of God. But I've also met a few that just like to be told how great they are. And if you don't do it quick enough, then you're not in that hierarchy. But if you do, when did we outgrow the boss? When did we get greater than Jesus? He described himself as a servant, humble. He washed the feet of his disciples prior to his crucifixion. Peter went, no, no, not me. Mm-mm. No, I can't allow you to wash my feet. Jesus said, okay, I won't wash your feet, but if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. If I can't be the servant God to you, I can't be God to you. And Peter said this as only impetuous Peter could. Wash my feet, but then wash my hands and wash my head as well. I'm so sorry, I misunderstood. You see, Jesus portrayed himself as lowly, The creator who had the power to call a legions, billions of angels to deliver him from the whips and the nails and the crucifixion took it. That's humility. And he did it so he could bear your sins and mine. He did it so he could totally purify us by his blood. I want to tell you something. When Jesus purified you and saved you, He didn't semi-save you. He used his precious resources and he used them in the fullness of what they are to redeem you from your sins. You have been cleansed. Listen to me. For those of you that fight your past, can I be real country with you? You ain't got one. There is none. It's gone. It's erased. The only one that remembers it's Satan and you. And why listen to the voice of a liar? Why? Verse 8, I, John, am the one who saw these things. And when I heard and saw and, and, and seen them, I fell at the feet and he's worshiped. This angel, and he says to me, don't do it. I'm a fellow servant. Then verse 10, then he told me, do not seal up the words of, this, of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Verse 11, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong, and let him who is vile continue to be vile, and let him who does right continue to do right, and let him who is holy Continue to be holy. What in the world does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that when Jesus comes and claims there's not going to be time to get things fixed, be fixed. Be right. Be ready. There's not going to be time when you hear the trump of God and go, oh God, oh Jesus. No. He said, you live right. And you live in readiness right now. You're not gambling on the time. I don't know if the rapture is going to take place next week or 20 years from now, 100. What if yours does? That little boy that I love so much, and he's 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six now, Dr. Derek Logston. His rapture took place, the doctor said, his main artery in his heart ruptured and he was dead instantly. Nothing could have been done. You see, we all have an appointment with God. So he's saying this, and this is the answers that that 
puzzle, as it were. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. There's not going to be time to fix it. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. That just means he's going to, there's no time to fix it, and he's going to continue to be that. You hear me? Let him who does right, the righteous, just continue on because that's going to be your lot. And those are holy, holy. And then he says this, behold, I come, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he's done. He's saying this, I'm going to come quickly. This word, quickly. When you study the origin of this word, and, and there's another word here that has the same meaning. It means suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. Say, so quickly was, well, 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 why, if John wrote this 2,000 years ago, not been very quick? That's not, it's not quick like we know it like this. It's suddenly the appearance, the happening. Quickly, suddenly. So substitute that word, and you can understand this better. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. These are messianic terms. This is absolutely proof. Spurgeon says, if there was ever a question as to his deity, this scripture says that he is God. Alpha and Omega, he said that in the beginning of John. The first and the last, the beginning of the end, messianic terms describing Jesus as God. And I'll lay my hand on this and agree with this and say he is God. Can you say amen to that? Blessed are those who wash their robes. They may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gate into the city. That's the entrance of God. Outside, this is interesting. Outside are the dogs and those who practice magic art, sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who, love, who loves and practices falsehood. You say, well, we don't have any idolaters anymore. Any, let me tell you what that word means. Are you ready? You're watching online? Listen to me. This is what it means. Anything. Anything. That you place above Jesus is an idol. Do you know when the Philistines would take over, or better than that, even when Nebuchadnezzar came in and took over and, and conquered Israel, they had hundreds of gods. The Persians had hundreds and thousands of different gods and deities. The Egyptians have thousands of gods. Lots of idols to anything. So anything Jesus says, anything in your life that's more important to you than him becomes an idol. And that's why he clumps us into this group. He's talking about those obvious sins. What verse was that? Huh? Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts. Boy, do we see that on television? Look at the television shows. Demonic. Supernatural. It's not like Superman used to be. These are demonic. That there's good demons and bad demons. And then, I mean, it's so twisted. He's saying, outside are the dogs. Now, he's not talking about outside of the New Jerusalem there's dogs. That term is referring to a dog as an outcast. And, he, and it doesn't mean that the city of God's going to be surrounded by outcasts. He's saying they're outside of the salvation and the deliverance and the, and the assistance of God. They're gone. <clears throat> they practice magic arts. They're sexually immoral. The murderers. How many children have been aborted? Let me tell you something about abortion. I don't want you to listen to me very closely. If you're a woman watching me online or in this room and has had an abortion, God loves you and has mercy on you. And you can go to God and say, forgive me of what I did. And God will forgive you and take that away from you as clear as it can be. But I do want to tell you this. You have a baby in heaven. 
And, it, and see, that's how God turns bad into good. God turns horrible things into positive things. And when we give our heart to Jesus, we ask him to forgive us of our sins, and he exonerates us, takes our sins away. Those abortions aren't abortions. They're babies, and they're eternal. And I, I had a, a deal when I was at Central Assembly. I would, we had a special line, and people could call in, and I would meet with young ladies privately that had abortions, and we would have a funeral for that baby. We would name that child and say, God, give it was a little boy or a little girl. And one said, I think it was a little boy, I think it's a little girl. And we would name it. And we'd have a little funeral, very private. No one knows who they are or it even happened. And that, that young lady would be set free, knowing that I'm a child of God and I've got a baby waiting. There's going to be so many bonuses. God is the only one that can take sin and turn it into something good. And he does that through his love. So don't live in the guilt. Live in the forgiveness and look, live in the anticipation of all God's got for you. It's beyond your comprehension. Verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Again, he gives himself messianic terminology. He's God, the bright and morning star. Do you know what the bright and morning star is in the cosmos right now? It's the, it's, the, it's the planet Venus. We call it the morning star. If you get morning, you see one bright star out there, and you're going, ooh, that dude stands out by itself. That's the planet Venus. It's called the morning star. So he describes it like when you get up in the morning and you see that one star by itself out there and it's brighter than all the others and so beautiful. He, said, he compares himself, the lily of the valley, all these different things he says he is. And he's just using this terminology in messianic terms to describe himself as God, the offspring of David. I'm the root and the offspring of, of David. He was David's Offspring, but he was also David's God at the same time. Amen? <clears throat> Verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride says, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take. Whoever wishes, let him take. Of the free gift of the water of life. This is why it's saying. Again he's saying this. It's yours for the taking. Look at this. Let him take of the free gift of the water of life. Now let me tell you something. That separates your God from all false gods. All false gods say bring to me. Give to me. Bring sacrifices to me. Human sacrifice, sacrifices of all kinds. I had a friend that I, I many years, I, I, I wanted to, wit I did witness to him about Jesus. And I don't know if I just planted seed or what I did. I haven't seen him in a long time. But they were, they were Asian and they had a beautiful restaurant and they had a Buddha in the restaurant. Well, I wouldn't go in there. Are you kidding me? He's a stick. He's a piece of wood, a rock. I, and I love these people, but they would put sacrifice, they would put fruit and vegetables out every day for Buddha. You give to a false god. False gods say they take, but here's a God that says, I'm giving you. All you have to do is ask for it. I'm giving you the gift of the water of life. The contrary of all false gods, our God's a giver. All false gods are takers. And they're not real to me. Their origin is Satan, which is his natural character. What verse am I on? The spirit of the bride. And the bride says, come. Let him who hears say, come. Whoever's thirsty, let him come. It's yours for the asking. And whoever wishes, let him take of the free gift of the water of life. My goodness, from God. 18 says this, And I warn everyone who hears the word of this prophecy of this book, 
And if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the Bible. Woo! What do you want, 100-pound hailstones? Boils? Gnats? Frogs? Water turned to blood? Oh, it wasn't just in Moses' time. The plagues went through all through the New Testament. When the children of Israel failed in sin and the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant to the Temple of Dagon, another false deity. And, and Dagon falls and he's broken apart. And then the, the, the Philistines are hit with boils all over their body. I mean, this is unique. This is unusual. And they finally figured out their God's stronger than our God. Well, their God's not a God and our God is a God. That's what ought to encourage you to know that anything that comes against you is, that's negative or opposite of God is from the very root of Satan and you have authority and power over the root of Satan by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your God is God and the others are not. Nothing is God wins. Amen? We can put our trust in him. But he tells us, don't change any of this. Don't rewrite it. Don't try to say something it's not. There are people that, oh, I'm not going to get into that. Just leave it alone. Just read the word for what it is. The Holy Spirit will guide you. I can't tell you how that works, but I know, and it works this way. It works this way that the Holy Spirit will tell us things and at first we may not understand who it is that it's God speaking to us. At first we may not recognize this. Well, how can you not recognize? Go back to all the examples. Everything has an example. Go back to Samuel, chapter verse Samuel, and you see where Samuel was a boy in the temple. He stays there all the time he's growing up. Now, when you see this visitation from God in the temple, Samuel's probably 20, 25 years old, and he's been a temple dweller. Hophni and Phinehas and Eli, the priest of Israel, have let every debauchery and sin come into the temple, and Israel's in a horrible state. The Philistines are getting ready to take the Ark of the Covenant. Hophni and Phinehas are going to be killed in battle. Eli's going to fall and break his neck. And it's going to open the door to a new prophet by the name of Samuel. But all this time, he's there. And all this time, he's, he's learning and he's understanding. But the beginning started like this. One night, he was in bed, sleeping, and he heard a voice, Samuel, Samuel. And he goes, oh, Eli's calling me, the boss, and, and, which wouldn't be unusual. He walks into the high priest, and Eli's an old man. And he's got sleep apnea. So, I mean, he's going, all right? And he goes, Eli, Eli. What? What? He says, you call me. He goes, I don't think I did. No, I didn't call you. I was snoring. Didn't you hear me? Well, I heard someone say, Sam. He'd go back to bed. Second time, a voice, Samuel, Samuel. And, and Samuel wasn't quite aware of what it was. He knew he heard something. You see, as a new Christian, God allows you to grow into understanding. He allows you to come into a place where you, you get it. You ever, you ever seen something, all of a sudden you go, the light came on, you go, I get it? God's patient with you. And he lets you grow into that place. And you hear all these guys up here talking in theological terms and God spoke to me today and all that, and you're sitting there going, I wish you'd do that to me. He is. You're just learning it. Second time, Samuel. He gets up and he goes in. He goes, Eli, I heard a voice. Sorry to wake you. But I heard a voice. And he called me, and I presume it's you. And Eli says, go back to bed. You're dreaming. The third time, Samuel's in bed. He's sound asleep. Samuel, Samuel, Shemuel is how he said it. Shemuel, Shemuel. And he gets up and he goes in. Eli, I heard a call. The third time he's going, it's undeniable. I, I don't understand this completely, 
that I know someone's calling me. That's how you grow in God. And Eli said, go lay down. And the next time he calls you, say, speak because your servant is listening. And Samuel goes back now with a new direction. He lays down in bed. He goes to sleep and he hears Shamuel. Shamuel. And he opens his eyes and he goes, that ain't Eli. That's nobody else in the temple. I'm here. I keep the oil in the lamps. I've done it for years. I've grown up as a servant in the house of God. And he says to him, okay, God, speak to me because I'm listening. God will lead you to a place to where you know his voice. And when he does, you just say, Lord, just tell me what you want me to know. And he'll tell you. He says, I'm going to tell you something. It's going to cause the ears to tingle on the nation of Israel because I'm bringing judgment on the house of Eli. And he told him the whole thing. And I'm putting you in as the prophet and the last judge of the nation of Israel. And every word that you speak, the Bible says not one of his words hit the ground or was worthless. It all had root. And the entire nation recognized Samuel as being a prophet and judge. Eli was gone. Hophni and Phinehas was gone. He cleaned the temple. And Samuel comes in and changes the nation and calls one David to be the king of all kings of Israel. God is patient, and he'll speak to you. And you may not recognize it right off the bat. You hear these religious terms, don't let them bother you. He loves you so much. He's going to set it up to where you finally go, Lord, I, I know now this isn't my intuition, and it's not imagination, and I know because I love you. I know you're, I'm telling you, when I first got saved, I didn't understand this any more than Samuel did the first call. But now after all these many years of being a child of God, I know the voice of God. And the funny thing is, the, the, the older you get in God, the more sensitive your ears get. If you let them, if you surrender to him. And I will tell you one thing, when you're having a conversation with God, everybody listening, shut up. I had to learn this. I told God, God, you, you know, it, it, finally God said, shh, 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 shut up. Just listen. So take it from someone that didn't do it so good at the first. Just be quiet and let him talk. You don't need to add. You don't need to converse. You don't need to try to convince him or debate. Just listen. The totality of all he has is what he'll tell you. Just listen. Listen to the Lord. If anyone takes <clears throat> the words away from this book of prophecy, God will take from him, away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which is described in this book. He's saying this, you won't be in the kingdom of God and you're not going to have the continual life-giving eternal fruit. You're going to be an outcast. You're going to be without me. If you do this, anyone who takes words away, that's those people that come in and write little books on the book of Revelation say it's nothing like you said. It's all supposition. It's parables. Uh, this means this, and this is what it meant in that time. That is heresy. It's not just baloney. It's heresy. It's heresy to the point of being damned and losing your place with God. The Word of God is without our understanding or description, but He gives us understanding through the Holy Spirit. And for us to try to, Im to repair or impair or change something about the Word of God is utter foolishness. It's like an amoeba arguing with Einstein. <clears throat> God's going to judge you and your character by who you are, what he knows you to be, not what people know you to be or what we think of ourselves. 
anyone who takes away from this, the book, this book of prophecy, God will, he will take away from him his share in the tree of life. And in the holy spirit city, which are described in this book, those two things, he who testifies of these things say, say I, I am coming soon. Amen. Lord, come Lord Jesus. And then he ends with the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God, with, with God's people and amen. Here's what he's saying here. <clears throat> Clearly as it can be, he's saying hold to the word of God. Hold to the purity of the word of God. Just do what the word says. Believe in the word. Don't let outsized sources or, or, or what do they say when you take vitamins? Do you have... Uh, Add, uh, uh, huh? Supp you don't need supplements. The word of God is, is everything. It's all. If you believe that, say amen. amen. The totality of this word. <clears throat> you say, well, the, what about these great books? There's some good books out, but I don't read very many books anymore. Except that one. I study that one. And I have some friends who have written some great books. And I, I look at, I read their books. But there's so many. But do you know they print 225,000 new Christian books every year by authors? And they're all opinions. The truth is in the word. Unmitigated word. So what he's saying in this <clears throat> salutation of the totality of the 66 books. He's telling us. <clears throat> from 22, the glory of what he has prepared, the availability of what he has, and to stick with it and don't vary from anything and let the Holy Spirit guide you into all truth and keep you. And he is going to accept you into this place that's beyond thought or idea or description and you and I are going to be together there with the Lord forever it's going to be absolutely greater than we can imagine and it's all going to be based on not who you are or what you've done it's the intent of your heart <clears throat> now I've said this before and I'll say it again I said it today to a group of pastors when we stand before God there's not one man on this earth or one woman on this earth that's going to stand up and go, oh, remember that book I wrote? What about that song I wrote? Now, I'm sitting by a guy right here named Bruce Haynes who's like a brother to me and a man of God and pastor of New Life Temple that wrote a song in the darkest time of his life. He lifted his hands in Brownsville, Florida. He was going through the darkest trial of his life, and he said, I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you more, more than words can say. I need you, Lord. And he wrote that little chorus. Today, when I got online, just to ask Bruce, almost 20 million people have punched that chorus and sung that song. He said, why? It's a simple song. He was shocked. <clears throat> I said, Bruce, let me tell you why. <clears throat> when that Trader, that, that slave trader wrote this song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. <clears throat> Why? That, that simple song. How did it just catch? Well, we could all identify. No, no. You see, God looked at the heart of that slave trader. And he anointed that song based on the heart of a repentant sinner. And when you cried out to him standing in the aisle at Brownsville <clears throat> with our friend that pastors that church and, lift, and in the sincerity of you by yourself, I need you more, more than yesterday. I need you, Lord, more than words can say. When you wrote those little simple words, God looked at the intent of your heart. That's what he anointed. Now I'm going to tell you something. For all of you that think, well, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to have much to show God. That is baloney. Amen? Say amen with me and I'll explain it. In your body, <clears throat> in your spirit, <clears throat> is a little black box. You ever heard of a little black box on airplanes? 
When they crash, the only thing they want to find is that little black box. Because inside that little black box is a description of everything that went on. Everything. Detail. Conversations, word, technical things, faults, failures in the plane. And it tells them what happened. You and I have a little black box in us. I promise you this is how it's going to be. And the day that we pass from this earth, the day God takes me away from here and I go into his presence, he's going to reach in my heart and he's not going to say, oh, you have a doctorate degree. You have pastor in this church. You, he's not, you are this and that. You no, know, you know he's going to say, he's going to say, let me have that box. He's going to take that box out and open it up and he's going to look at the intent of my heart. That's where my reward's going to come from. Jesse said, I, I have sons. Here's Eliam. Samuel goes, he's not the one. Hold on, Shama. He's not the one. All seven of them come, and Samuel said, something's wrong. He goes, well, I've got a 14-year-old kid. He's the baby. He's out herding sheep because that's what the youngest do. He said, bring him in. And the word of God says this young, red-headed, ruddy-looking, fair-complected shepherd about 14 walks in. And God says, (laughs) he says to Samuel, arise and anoint him because he is the king of Israel. Then he said these words, God looks on the outward appearance. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And all the other brothers that would have filled the bill for the kings, oldest to the last, now he the least, all of them didn't qualify the black box test of God. He saw the heart of David. And I'm going to tell you, when you stand in heaven... There's people sitting right here today, and listen to me online, that's going to be far higher in the kingdom of God than you think. You're going to be way up there more than you think, not because of what you did or what people saw you do. Or who. It's going to be for one reason. It's because God's going to look at that, and he's going to see the intent of your heart, and your intent was to serve him and love him, and it's not the junk you did or the stuff you achieved. It's who you are as a man or woman of God, and the intent of the heart is where the reward system of God's going to come, and I'm sitting among some people tonight that's going to have a great, great, great surprise when you get to heaven because I know your hearts and God knows them far, far more than anyone. So don't look at what I'm doing or not doing or can do or can't do. Look at your love for Jesus and your intent to serve him. Does that make sense to you? And then stand to your feet. We're done. If you